Today's New Testament lesson is from the book of Galatians, chapter 5, verses 22 to 23, and Galatians, chapter 5, verses 1 to 5. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. My friends, if anyone is detected in a transgression, you who have received the Spirit should restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Take care that you yourselves are not tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. For if those who are nothing think they are something, they deceive themselves. All must test their own work. Then that work, rather than their neighbor's work, will become a cause for pride for all must carry their own loads. This This is is the the word word of God God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Amen. What a joy it is to be with you this morning in worship and in praise. We're grateful to Allison and Shelby and all of our musicians for leading us in our service of worship. And also many thanks to Grace Hamilton and her dad who have read the scripture for us this morning. If you've been a part of our worship over the last seven or eight weeks, uh, you know that we're on the last leg of this series that we began actually on the Sunday after Easter, a couple of months ago, on the fruit of the Spirit. We're going to finish next Sunday on the 28th with a message on the last fruit, the fruit of self-control, which is desperately needed in this age. But this morning, I want to talk to you for just a few minutes about the fruit of gentleness. It's an interesting Greek word. Prautas is the word. It's actually a feminine noun in the Greek that literally means meek, mild, or modest. When I hear the word meek, that word takes me back to a hillside, to the Sermon on the Mount, to the Beatitudes where Jesus, in his signature sermon, said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 5, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. I don't know about you, but I've never been a big fan of the word meek. When I think of meekness, I, I, think, of, I think of it as a synonym for other words like weakness or frailty or vulnerability. But the biblical word is much more than that. The biblical word prautos literally means strength with a gentle touch. In other words, power with some degree of restraint, or you might say it like this, muscle under God's control, gentleness. I think that's a fitting word, especially for this day, for Father's Day. On two different occasions, the Apostle Paul instructs dads not to be overly harsh with their children. The first time you see it is Ephesians 6, verse 4. Fathers, says Paul, do not provoke your children. In other words, don't irritate them, don't frustrate them, don't incite them to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. In other words, what Paul is saying is don't be a loose cannon. Don't have a hair trigger. Use your influence, your authority, in ways that demonstrate self-restraint or self-discipline. 
A second time, Paul mentions this word in Colossians 3, verse 21, in the household rules section of those who are a part of a Christian household. He says, dads, do not embitter your children. Or one translation says, don't don't overcorrect your kiddos, lest they become discouraged, lest they lose heart. A couple of years, a couple of verses earlier from that, Paul says, if you look at Colossians 3 verse 19, you see that Paul uses that same line of thinking for husbands and wives. In fact, he says, husbands, love your wives and don't be harsh to them. The Greek word there is austere or rigid. Don't be overly grim with your family. I had the privilege this week on Wednesday afternoon of officiating a funeral service for Miss Polly Martin. She's one of our regulars on Saturday night. Miss Polly and Mr. James, both age 90, were married for 68 years. Unbelievable. Miss Polly was brought to this church when it was on Church Street at the ripe old age of two and enrolled in the Sunday school. She was only a member in her 90 years of one church for 88 years. Same man married for two years shy of seven decades and a member of the church for two years shy of nine decades. And I thought at her service, you don't, you don't see that kind of staying power very often, do you? You, you? you don't see that kind of longevity in relationships without gentleness. It's one of the fruits of the Spirit. It's one of the benchmarks. It's, it's one of the indicators that, that you are actually walking by the Spirit when you exhibit strength with a gentle touch. I was reading an article recently, interesting article titled called 12 Ways to Provoke Your Children. It starts early, provoking our children. And some of you don't need much help with this. I agree with that. But here it is, 12 ways to provoke your children. Number one, neglect spending time with them. Number two, model sinful anger. Number three, scold them harshly. Number four, find fault consistently. Number five, refuse to listen. Number six, be too permissive. Number seven, be too demanding. Number eight, set double standards. Number nine, compare them to others. Number 10, don't keep your promises. Number 11, chasten them in public. And number 12, show favoritism. I've heard some of our men in these recent days during the pandemic say that one of the benefits of this virus is that these dads have been able to spend more time with their children. In fact, I had one say to me the other day, I have spent more time with my son and daughter in the last three months than I have in the previous three years. And it occurred to me that that is both a praise and a concern. But what an opportunity. It is not enough for us as dads or moms, for that matter, to simply provide for our children. We need to be with them. We need discipline. We need strength with a gentle caress. 
And one of the fruits of the Spirit is gentleness. It's a marvelous description, I think, of the nature and character of God. You see this biblically. You see it in Isaiah 40, verse 11. And God will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather his lambs in his arms and carry them in his bosom and gently lead the mother's sheep. You hear it in Psalm 18, verse 35, in David's prayer of praise where he says to God, You, O Lord, have given me the shield of your salvation. Your right hand has supported me, and your gentleness has made me great. You see it in Jesus. In Matthew 21, in the triumphal entry in Jerusalem, the Scripture says, See, your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey. And how about Matthew 11, verse 29? What a beautiful verse. Jesus speaking says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. It's one of the fruits. It's interesting to me how consistent the New Testament is that this particular fruit not only distinguishes the character of God and Jesus, but also is to distinguish our household, our marriage, our family, our relationships within biological family, but also within the spiritual family, within the body, within the church, this fruit of gentleness. And Paul says it has to start with the pastor. In his first letter to the church at Thessalonica, after leaving there, Paul was reflecting on his ministry there, and he writes to them in chapter 2, verse 7, these interesting words. My friends, he says, when we were with you, we were not looking for praise or accolades when we preached to you, not from you or anyone, even though as apostles of Christ, we could have asserted our authority, but instead we were like children among you. Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel, but our very lives as well. The fruit of gentleness, it begins with the pastor. I was doing my devotions this week, and one day early in the week, I actually found my job description in the Scripture. I've been looking for it for 38 years, and I finally found it. Some of you have shared with me what you think my job description is, but I found it in 2 Timothy chapter 2. These words of Paul to his young friend in ministry, Timothy. Run away from adolescent cravings. Instead, pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace Together with those who confess the Lord with a clean heart, avoid foolish and thoughtless discussions, since you know that they produce conflicts. God's servant, and here it is, God's servant should not be argumentative, but should be kind to all people, able to teach, to be patient, and admonish opponents with gentleness." That strength with a gentle touch. John R. Stott, the great British Anglican theologian, said it like this. 
The very first thing that needs to be said about Christian ministers of all kinds is that they are under people as their servants rather than over people as their leaders. Says Dr. Stott, Jesus made this absolutely clear. He said the chief characteristic of Christian leaders is humility. It's not authority. It's gentleness, not power. Simon Sinek said it like this, a boss has a title, but a leader has the people. Gentleness, strength with a caress. Old Paul had his hands full with the Galatians. The truth is, every letter in the New Testament, if you read it, is a troubleshooting guide for conflict in the body. I don't have to tell you where two or more are gathered. You're going to have a difference of opinion. But Paul was never really looking for uniformity. He's looking for unity. We talked about last week about the Galatian problem, the Galatian dilemma. There was a different gospel being preached after Paul left. It was a message that dethroned grace, decentralized grace, as the key component of our salvation and of our sanctification. There was a group that came from Jerusalem who was saying, grace is not enough. you got to add to it. Grace plus law, grace plus circumcision, grace plus food regulations, and Paul called them out. One of the things that I love so much about the ministry of Paul is that he did not have a stained glass view of the church. The man was a realist. Paul understood the human fallibility of the flock and also of himself. Paul knew that disciples are not immune to misconduct. Paul knew that discipleship is messy business. And let's face it, when the object of your mission is the world, it's not always easy to tell where the world ends and the church begins. But God so loved the world. God doesn't hate the world. He loves the world. In fact, so much that he gave his only son. And because of that, we don't isolate ourselves from the world. We don't hide from the realities of the world. We, we don't isolate from division and dissension and discord. We don't hide from prejudice and part, part, partisanship. We don't, we don't isolate ourselves from racial inequity and injustice. It is within us. We don't run away from hostility and even violence. I was watching an interesting documentary this week that quotes James Baldwin. The title is, I Am Not Your Negro. It is a must-see in our time. Says Dr. Baldwin, not everything that is faced can be changed, but nothing can be changed until it's faced. God loves the world, and he calls us out of it to be a witness in it without being of it.
And that isn't easy. But boy, is it necessary. Somebody will occasionally ask me, Pastor, are you staying out of trouble? And I say, no, it, it kind of comes with the frock. In fact, sometimes I counsel young clergy that that title in front of your name when you're ordained, reverend, is not necessarily a title of respect. It can be a title of suspicion because it's messy, ministry, discipleship. It, it's two steps forward, one step back. Faith is not a linear equation. It's not a straight line from one point, point A to point B. It's, it's more like wandering in the wilderness, full of detours and potholes and bridges out and construction. But I don't know another way than the way of Christ. And I know that the world needs the church to be the church. And I need you. And we need each other. We need the fellowship of mutual accountability in a world that is so polarized. In the final chapter in Galatians, Galatians 6, Paul gives instructions for what we are to do when somebody messes up or falls along the way. If anyone is detected in a transgression, you who have received the Spirit should restore such a one in gentleness. Now, there's a couple of things I want to say about that verse before we finish. The first is this, a word of caution. We need to be careful when we read that verse not to assume that my job or your job is to be a private detective for the church to expose the sins of others. Boy, if you're like me, you got your hands full with your own issues, so be careful. It's not our job to always weed the patch. Sometimes it's our job to seed the patch and leave the harvest to God. There's another thing about this verse. When Paul says, you who have received the Spirit should restore them. He's not dividing the camp. He's not splitting the body into remedial disciples and AP disciples. He's talking to the whole church because we have all been gifted by the Spirit. If you've been baptized, you were baptized, you were anointed with the laying on of hands and the water in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so restoration, reconciliation, is not just the task of the pastor. It's the task of the whole body. I think that's why in a church this size, small groups, classes, accountability groups, prayer groups are a must because it's there that we bear one another's burdens as well as our own. It's there that we cultivate how is it with your soul the mutual accountability that is necessary for living in the world without being of the world. And the last thing in this verse I want to mention, that word restore, that's an important word. In the Greek, the word is katerizo. You know what it means? 
It literally means to mend the nets. That's interesting. It's an old fisherman's term. Paul probably stole it from Peter. It means to sew the binding of the dragnet, of the trawl nets together, so that nothing falls through, so that no one falls through. And what Paul is saying is that kind of reconciliation, that kind of restoration requires strength with a gentle touch. We've got some mending to do in our community. We've got some mending to do in our city, in our church, in our family. We've got some mending to do in our nation and in our world. And we cannot do it without fruit. I found your job description this week as well. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It's from the same apostle who wrote Galatians. Listen to this. From now on, sisters and brothers, we regard nobody from a human point of view. If anybody is in Christ, she's a new creation. All the old is gone. Everything is new. All of this is from God who restored us to himself through Christ And he has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. Caterizzo, mending nets. Strength with a gentle touch. One other word. My father had this fruit, this fruit of gentleness. I have a picture I wanted to share with you today. It's a little dated, as you can tell. The little boy to my side is now 30. My father is gone. He's been gone for 16 years. I think I was maybe 36 at the time. My son came to see me two weeks ago. He said, Dad, I'd like to do a video with us together, and I'd like to have a conversation about fathers and sons. He said, I'd like for us to talk about what we have learned from our fathers. I said, I'd like to hear that myself. And so we set up the camera, and we had a conversation. You'll have a chance to hear it, if you like, at 11 o'clock today. I'll have a link for you at the conclusion of the sermon. And so we did the video. In the context of the video, when we turned it off, I shared with him a story that he already knew, and maybe some of you do, and I want to share it in closing. Years ago, when our son was learning to ride a bike, we, we were out in the driveway. It was when we lived in Atlanta, and, and we had just taken the training wheels off. I think Andrew may have been five or six, and he was doing pretty well. He had not discovered how to use the brakes very well, and at one point, he was riding a little too cocky for his own good, and as he was headed down the slope of our driveway towards the garage, where the door was opened and there parked was my brand new car that I had gotten the week before, he couldn't stop. He hit my car wide open with his fender on the bike, breaking the taillight on my brand new car. And I just about blew up. I just about let him have it when suddenly, 
In my memory, I went back to a camp meeting in West Tennessee. I was 11 years old, and my father was the preacher. He was taking his afternoon nap in the tent, as they called it, which was really a cabin, while I was playing the radio in the car. The car was parked on a slope, and somehow I engaged the gear into neutral, and it began to roll down the hill a few feet. I pumped the brakes. Nothing would happen. The brakes wouldn't engage. The car had not been started, and I'll never forget, as I'm rolling down this hill, I'll never forget the look on the faces of those campers at the bottom of the hill as I sped towards their little pinto. You remember those little cars, the pinto? They were seated on the porch enjoying a quiet summer afternoon when suddenly this mad-crazed 11-year-old slams into their car, totals the pinto. I was scared to death. I knew that life was over. I'd had a good life. I was ready to go. And I saw my father running down the hill. He had heard the commotion. Here he comes. And I knew that life was over. I suppose when he saw my face and the tears that he knew that there was nothing he could do or say to add to my grief. And to my surprise, my father put his arm around me, hugged me, and never mentioned it again. And here I was now with my son about to let him have it because of his carelessness in breaking a taillight. And I remembered my father. So you know what I did? <laughs> I slipped my arm around my son. I hugged him. And I never said a word about it ever again. The fruit of gentleness is a gift of the Spirit, to be sure. But it is also a learned behavior I learned it from my father, and we tried to teach it to our children, and he still instructs me. The job description of a disciple in the world that we live in is about mending nets so that nothing can fall through, so that no one can fall through. And to help us do it, the Spirit gives us the fruit of gentleness, strength with a gentle touch. And we are to use it well for the restoration and reconciliation of a lost and lonely world for Christ's sake to the glory of God. May it be so in you and in me this day. In Jesus' name, amen.